0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional teal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate from the life they're now able to live to the person they've become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Well, good day and welcome to this episode of The Everyday Millionaire. As always, before we get underway, I like to just take the time to say thank you for your feedback to the show And to remind and continue to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at ceo at reincanada.com. That's ceo at raincanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd definitely appreciate it if you were to rate the show or comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever other platform you happen to use to listen in. As well, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. For me, and aside from the direct feedback you provide me, the greatest form of appreciation is if you are enjoying what you're learning and hearing, then please share the Everyday Millionaire podcast with others, such as your friends, your family, your associates, whatever that might be for you. The show continues to gain really great traction and increasing momentum. So I just want to say thank you in advance for sharing it. If you find the show worthy of passing it on to others, then that's awesome. And please don't stop the feedback that you do provide the Everyday Millionaire team and I. It's important and appreciated. Okay, so let's get this show started. Now, I'm joined today by someone whom I just consider a really good friend, a guy by the name of Rich Dandy. Now, a little bit about Rich. For many years, Rich enjoyed a really successful career as a TV producer and a director, while at the same time, he was investing in real estate and building his real estate investing business. And it was actually only a few years ago that Rich made a really big life decision to pursue real estate in a full-time capacity. Now, over the past few years, Rich has expanded his many talents to include being a speaker, a real estate investment coach. He's also the owner of Rich Ottawa Investments, and he's the president of the Ottawa Real Estate Investment Organization known as Oreo, and he is the co-creator of Rain Ottawa. Rich got the real estate investing bug early on when he profited over $65,000 on his first property. Now, after renovating that property that was really he and his wife's home and then selling it a year later and making that kind of money, he decided I'm going to start investing in a more serious way. And so he started investing in the Ontario real estate market just over 15 years ago and has really become an expert at finding and negotiating private deals and raising the capital required to renovate them. His preferred investment strategy is to renovate and refinance and turn that into a long-term hold and he does that by working with joint venture partners and private lenders. His portfolio is a mix of single family and multi-family units. He's also invested in land development, rent to own, and flips for some quicker profit, income if you will. So Rich is the doting father of four children and he credits his wife Christina for encouraging him to pursue his dreams to be a full-time real estate investor and to actually help others achieve their investment goals and their Real estate business goals. He takes pride in his many achievements, including presenting from our RAIN stage on several occasions and to share his experience and lessons with other RAIN members. He's also an award winner. He was a finalist for both the Investor of the Year and Joint Venture Partner of the Year in 2014 by the Canadian Real Estate Wealth magazine. But He's been the winner of the Joint Venture Partner of the Year in uh, 2015 by Rain, the Real Estate Investment Network. He was a top player award in 2014, and he is the winner of the Renovator of the Year Award in 2015, all by the Real Estate Investment Network. He's a big active part of our community. And Rich is not just a top performer as an entrepreneur and a real estate investor, but it's a standard that he holds for himself in all areas of his life, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. And I'm really, really looking forward to uh, having a great chat and conversation with Rich today. So without further delay, let's get this show underway. Well, good day, Rich Danby. Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Certainly excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. And so, um, Rich, let's get to work right away because we got lots to talk about. I always prefer to open the show with a quick question to my guests so that the listening audience has a handle on who you are and what it is that you do. But let's just start by, what's your elevator pitch? What does Rich Danby do? And um, why don't we start there?
1: Sure. Uh, We're in the business of helping other people create wealth through real estate investing. They don't have to necessarily own real estate. They can invest uh, with us or through us. And they get all the benefits of being a landlord and property owner without actually having any of the responsibilities.
0: So real estate investing is kind of your main driver. And we're going to dig in and go through the layers of Rich Damby because there's a lot more to you than just that. So that's cool. That's great. Good place to start. Why don't we go back a little bit to, you weren't always a real estate investor and you've been investing for how long now? I've been investing for just about 20 years. And then you became a full-time real estate investor in that period. And how long ago did you become a a full-time real estate investor? Four years ago. Four years ago. So you're making your living in being a real estate investor. What did you do prior to that? How did that all start to, you know, you're investing for 20 years. Give me a little bit of background on what you're doing before you were being a full-time real estate investor.
1: Sure. So I was in television broadcasting for about 15 years. And uh, I started investing in real estate originally when my son Brandon was born, who is now 20 years old. That's kind of where I had the original idea to get started. And so, you know, we bought our first property. And then uh, as he was getting a bit older, I said, okay, we, we need to kind of do a little bit more here and try to prepare for his future. And then we had our second daughter. And so we had a few properties. And then when I started my second relationship, uh, I I said to myself, okay, now what do I have to do? Because we had, I had the uh, television broadcasting career going, we had a few properties, but I felt like, you know, the TV industry was changing. And I really needed to come up with another way to generate the revenue so that uh, my younger kids could have a future that was secured for them as well. So up to that point, I had acquired enough properties that I felt my older children were taken care of. In the event that something went wrong, I could sell the properties and get them through college and university. But with the younger ones, I needed a better plan. And so up to that point, um, I really didn't have any particular strategy around investing in real estate. I was really just being led by the hand by a realtor. And uh, they told me, hey, this is a great deal. Buy this. And so I said, "Okay." And so because I live in Ottawa at the time, I could have pretty much bought anything and and done okay because the market at that time was going up. Um, But, you know, when I started my second relationship, uh, my son now is eight years old. That's when I made the decision to really get some education around it and immerse myself, because I knew up to that point in my life, I had made more money doing that than anything else. And I really had no strategy. So I thought if I added some strategy to this, I really could take it much further.
0: Okay. So I don't want to step over a fundamental thing that you said, which early on, which was you started investing 20 years ago. And Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about that because 20 years ago, you would have been still, well, you still are a young guy, but you know, 20 years Mm -hmm. ago, you were pretty young. You have a young family, you have a newborn. What was it that tweaked for you? Or why was it that you saw real estate as something that could support your family, your financial future. What was that moment in time that you said, I'm going to start being a a real estate investor?
1: Sure. Well, what happened was we bought our first property with no intention other than to own a home, recognizing that that was the right move for us. And then about a year later, our realtor called us and said, Hey, you know, if you guys would be interested in selling this property, we we could uh, get this sold and you would make a nice profit. So we weren't really thinking about selling it, but we ended up selling it, and we made sixty-six or sixty-seven thousand uh, dollars within a year. And that's when lies the power of real estate, because up to that point in my life, I, you know, I hadn't made that kind of money. And uh, I thought, wow, that that's interesting. So from there, the next move was to buy a triplex and renovate it. We did that, and then refinanced it, and it just kind of grew from there. So there really was no strategy. It, I think, a lot of it was luck. And uh, even at the time, we didn't even have the down payment to buy the first property. It was a loan uh, from family, and then from there, it just it just grew.
0: But what is the conversation you're having back then, Rich? Because that's still a quite an elevated, I guess, position to take. It's you know, half. Does did it feel risky back then? Were you how are you dealing with? Were you dealing with the fears and the risk and you know, self talk of going, "What the hell are we doing?" or Because like I say, that's a pretty big move for what you would have been like 25 back then and yeah, or younger. And so how was that for you? Like what was driving you? Was there somebody in behind you you get kind of like poking in the ribs going, dude, you got to pull this off?
1: I think it really had to do with having uh, a child. Because up to that point in my life, I really wasn't taking a deep look at my own life as to what it could be. I was really just doing what I thought I needed to do to survive. So at the time, I had a two bedroom apartment. I had a car. I had enough money to pay all my bills. So in my own mind at that time, I was already doing quite well. And it wasn't until I found out that I was going to be a father that I took a look around myself and I said, wow, this is pathetic. (laughs) I really need to elevate my game and do something here because I'm having a child. And so once I made that decision to get into the first property, um, you know, I did have a lot of fear for sure. I remember when there was the, you know, it was, we found a property, let's buy this property. I had a lot of fear. I was almost hoping that it would fall through, because uh, I was really scared about how I was going to pay for it, and where that money was going to come from. And so I knew it was the right thing to do. But uh, fear, you know, almost paralyzed us. And, you know, thankfully, the pros outweighed the cons, and we moved forward.
0: Well, you know, I want to say that, Doing what I do and being involved with real estate investors as much as I am and with as many and for, you know, to the degree we get into conversations with people, I, I just see that as a real statement of character back then. I don't know if you recognize that, but it's kind of cool. I You know, as well as I know you and I know you in the, in the character you are today, you are a lot of what you are today. You are even on that journey back then. So that's kind of cool. Take me back a little bit, Rich, because, you know, as a young guy growing up, you I think you grew up in Hamilton. Did you not? That's right. Yeah. And so at some point you're got CBC, you're doing what you're doing in the world of a job. And then an entrepreneurial spirit kind of starts to emerge. But was there a background entrepreneurial? What was, you know, with your parents, what what did your parents do and what were what was kind of like your growing up scenario? What was that for you?
1: Well, to be honest with you, uh, my influence is growing up as a child living with my parents, were they they did not have anything to do with entrepreneurial. My mom was a she stay-at-home mom, and my dad worked for Bell Canada. It wasn't until I was older that I started to develop an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I honestly, my wiring was um, to be what I refer to as a soldier, a good soldier. So, uh, you know, what I did up until. I really started to get into real estate investing, uh, the, the second round with my with my son Dylan. I really was just comparing myself to the other people that were coworkers, and really just trying to be the best of that. I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur, and I did have a lot of limiting beliefs coming out of my childhood. So just you know, originally just getting a job and being able to stand on my own two feet that really did feel like a success, and and I probably would have stayed there and not. Not be as driven if it wasn't for having children. I think that really was the big turning point for me.
0: Now, having children—it sounds like that was kind of one of those, you know, pivotal moments in your life, a kind of defining moment of who you would become, and and it was important to you. Where, you know, so was having children. Was that really a big deal for you? Now, it's a, a big deal for parents, but uh, for all parents, and 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 certainly as a parent, I recognize that. But some people are just really driven to have children. And are are really kind of, I don't know, inspired to do that. And they, they really get into, now I want to be an awesome parent. Were you driven, do you think, more than others in some cases when you look at that? Because that's a little bit of what I'm hearing, I guess.
1: Mm. I don't think my drive came from having children. I think my drive came from overcoming my past and proving that I was capable Having children was definitely the motivating factor to getting it all going, but Understood. I think I had a lot to prove to myself and overcoming some of the limiting beliefs and obstacles growing up.
0: Well, let's talk about that because you know, we often see that. I know that you over the years have done some coaching with real estate investors, small business owners, etc. As of I, when you look at limiting beliefs, number one, do you have a couple that come to mind and and secondly, where do you think your limiting beliefs came from?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So the one that comes to mind for sure is I'm not smart enough. Mm. I think I've always struggled with that. And you know, where it all comes from is my childhood because my parents were not really the best at motivating us. I had a pretty tough childhood growing up and, um, you know, it shifted when I finally decided to move out at 16 years old. And that really was, I would say kind of the day my life started. And, uh, that was also the time I found my first mentor, which is a guy named Brad who took me in as a kid who I was not related to, and he had no reason to do it other than being a super nice guy. Mm-hmm.
0: The reason I'm digging into this is because time and time yeah. again, when you're talking to people, the conversations of limiting beliefs show up. And it's actually not even a conversation about limiting beliefs, but you start to hear them in their languaging and, and, and how they talk about goals and, and moving forward or not, or what, where they're stuck. So, was it Brad that kind of helped you get through that, or was it just a determination for you to kind of figure it out?
1: I think it was both. But, Brad, uh, just one quick story. I remember when I turned uh, 17 years old, he said, Okay, it's time for you to go get your driver's license. And I thought to myself, What? I can't get my driver's license. Like, I, I don't even know how to drive. And I had all these stories like, This is not possible for me. I don't, you know, I don't come from a background where I, where am I going to get a car and how could I afford it? So it wasn't even on my radar, but he taught me how to drive a car. And then he took me down to the, uh, to get my license. And, and he was a school teacher and he had went in there and he said, you know, we're going to get you your driving test. And we walk in and we walk up to the counter and they said, no, sorry, we, we can't get you in here. We have this long list of people. And, and so I was like, Brad, let's go. Don't worry about it. Cause in my mind, I still thought, you know, I can't do it. And so then he says, hold on, Rich, go outside and wait a minute. I'll be out in a minute. So he comes out a couple minutes and he says, you have an appointment Tuesday. I said, how did you do that? And he said, I used to teach that girl. She just didn't recognize me. <laughs> so he was a guy who made things happen. And really what he taught me was unconditional love. And he was a person who had nothing to gain other than just doing the right thing for the for the right person. And, and that's kind of the thing that I want to pass on. I think that one person can really make a major impact on others. And that's kind of the source of the inspiration for me now as a speaker and a person who goes around and tries to help other people achieve their goals and overcome their limiting beliefs. He was a guy who really did that for me. So I feel an obligation to honor him for that. And also it just feels right.
0: So when you came out of you know, when you started into that conversation, you started on that path, if you will, which is kind of really about starting to understand how you need to take responsibility for what your future was about, how you had to kind of bust through and evolve and develop as an individual, work through those limiting beliefs. I mean, I think, you know, obviously that started for you at a, at a very young age, and I know it continues with you as it does with all of us that are really committed to making a difference and, and success and contribution and all those kinds of things. When did you go to work with uh, CBC? What, how old were you then, or was there a job in between? Like, what was in between that and CBC?
1: Sure. Uh, so, I actually worked at Rogers TV, not CBC. Uh, oh, sorry. I was at the. Yeah. New- no, no, no problem. So, what happened was uh, when my son Brandon was born, I applied a week later for television broadcasting. That's how I got my career going. Previous to that, I was a bartender. I always had about four different jobs going at a time just to keep from being bored. So a week before I graduated, and the good thing was I had the motivation because I had a child at that time to really find a job. So in the final semester of school, rather than focusing on my grades, I spent all my time focusing on the job. And uh, I remember you know, being accused of putting all my eggs in one basket because I was really pursuing this job at the new RO because I felt that that was the full-time job that would provide the security that I was looking for. And so, a week before I graduated, they called me and they said, "We'd like to offer you a full-time job. Your starting pay is twenty-nine thousand two hundred and eleven dollars." That's what they told me. I completely remember that, and I remember being so excited because up to that point, uh, every job I had was, you know, an hourly wage job or a commission job. I had never had a salary job before, so being offered a salary of any type, you know, with a <laughs> number attached to awesome. it, was was super. Ex- super exciting for me. So that, that's where I got started. And then I was there for a couple of years. And then I had some friends who had moved on to Rogers TV. And they said that they were looking for a producer to produce and direct sports. And they know that I love sports. And and uh, also, you know, with my work ethic and how I was doing at the new RO, uh, they decided to interview me. So I went in, did the interview. And the next thing you know, uh, I went there and I stayed there for 13 years. So and it was a great job. That job was actually a difficult job to leave. That was actually what took me so long to leave uh, to go into real estate full time because I had been doing real estate for quite a while. And I I felt like I was trying to get it going over here and then also try to keep the full time job going. So I was burning the candle at both ends, really with the fear of failing uh, in real estate and not being able to make it work. And then eventually, it just got to a point where Christina, my wife, turned to me one day and she said, Rich, it's time to spread your wings and fly. And she said that to me when I was 39 years old, and I'm now 44. And I thought, you know, she's given me the permission. And it just took me to that point where I felt like, you know, as as the husband and father, that I was really trying to orchestrate something. And I really didn't I was afraid to let go of that full-time job because the security of having that income come into your account every two weeks—it was nice. And in a lot of ways, I felt like I had golden handcuffs at that job because uh, they treated me really well. My boss was an amazing guy. I had a lot of friends that work there, and um, it was—it was a great job. It was a lot of fun. So, you know, if I didn't enjoy my job so much and didn't enjoy the people so much, I probably would have left to do real estate a lot sooner. And so, sometimes the golden handcuffs can be not a curse, but they can slow down what, what your potential could have been. But I, I have no regrets about staying there. I had great relationships and I still maintain those friendships today. And uh, it really did prepare me for becoming a full-time real estate investor, although nothing really completely prepares you for that. It prepares you for that. Still some failures and mistakes when getting started, but uh, it, was, it was a path that I'm still completely happy with the way things turned out.
0: When I talk to and interview so many of the everyday millionaire guests that I have on the show and in the research that I do often it comes up where there is a significant other that plays a pretty major role Huge. in yeah. yeah and so for you, Christina was a big part of that and mm. was she was she working at the time or was she being a full-time mom so I guess they go together but you know I'm always a little bit cautious how I ask that question. I totally respect the full-time moms and that they're working but was she working outside the home? I'll ask you that question.
1: Well, when our kids were born, Christina made the choice that she wanted to stay home with the kids. She was working for a software engineering company as an account manager and then uh, when our kids are born, you know, it, because of the cost of daycare, it just made sense because she really did want to, you know, we, we recognize that the most important years of your children's life are the first 5 so that the more you could be there and be involved and and help uh, develop them, the better off they'll be in the long term. So, yeah, she she quit her job and then uh, she was working from home, and then it was while she was at home that she had said to me, "You know, hey, it's time for you to spread your wings and fly." And so since I started the um, started the real estate stuff full time, about a year into it, Christina was kind of wrapping up with the uh, home care that she was doing. And she had to make the decision about whether she was going to go back into um, the account manager job or Whether she was going to come and join me full time, so that was, you know, that was the next turning point for her, and she's been working with me now uh, for the past few years. So yeah, definitely behind every great man is a great woman, and in this case, uh, uh, it's for sure. She's been a great supporter, and and really, you know, because of her, all of this is possible because she created the space. She took care of the kids, she took care of the house, she took care of the things that we jointly shared before to free up the space for me to pursue this
0: you know, for listeners out there that are working full-time jobs and looking at real estate and, and not, or just as at being a, you know, an entrepreneur in, in, whatever field, you know, what have you learned along the way? And especially because, you know, in your case, you had a job that you really enjoyed people that you worked with that were awesome. What would you say was kind of a, a final tipping point, if you will, or what guidance would you give somebody that's in, in the throes of that decision, you know, as they sit and listen to this particular interview?
1: Sure. Well, you know, in all honesty, I think I quit my job because, you know, first I was making more money flipping houses than I was in my job. So I felt at that point, you know, I'm an expert now and I'm ready to quit my job and do this full time. But the one thing that I would say is before you quit your job, uh, realize that when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing any business full time, there is no switch on the wall that you can turn off at five o'clock. So the first year for for me, it was tons of anxiety, waking up in the middle of the night with the fear of where is this money coming from? What if it doesn't work out? The limiting beliefs were sinking in. And there was a lot, of, a lot of anxiety. So a lot of waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and emailing myself notes of things that I need to do. And it was the fear of failure really creeping in. And So how I overcame all of that was through reading. And mentors. and in all honesty, after I graduated from college for television broadcasting, I could probably count on one hand how many books I read and even know that they were all to teach me something. But after I was a full-time real estate investor, with all the fear and anxiety, I had to start googling it and figuring out where where is all this coming from? How do I deal with it? And that's when it started leading me to you know motivational videos, but more importantly, uh, books. I think Tony Robbins was probably the number one person who had the influence on helping me overcome that stuff. You know, his content and books and seminars, I went to them and I really started believing more in myself and realizing that I'm not alone. And when I went to one of his events earlier this year, it was a business mastery event. And he, he said, it was, he said, raise your hand if you ever had the fear of going bankrupt. And every hand in the room went up. and and when he asked that question, I saw every hand in the room go up. I just let out a big breath. I felt relieved because up to that point, it kind of felt like a dirty little secret. Like here I am on stage, you know, teaching and inspiring. But at the same time, I have this complete fear of myself that it's all going to blow up in my face because I've seen other real estate investors who appeared to have it all together, have the same thing happen to them. So Having that experience, going through Tony Robbins and reading a lot of different books about what other entrepreneurs were doing as far as getting organized, about creating systems, about having other streams of income, that really helped prepare me and 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 get me through that anxiety. And I'm not saying that the anxiety doesn't still exist. It does because I just keep pushing forward and it just creates more anxiety around other topics. And I still wake up in the middle of the night and email myself, but I feel at this point, I feel more confident about it. I feel in control of it. So it doesn't paralyze me anymore.
0: So often we have the conversation with people that it really is less about what you do and more about who you have to become. So in other words, as you go through the anxiety, it's actually, it sounds like for you, which it is, I think for many, that you were having to change who you are and how you viewed the world. And that was a lot of work going into that for you. Is that a, an accurate statement? Do you think rich? Yeah, for sure. And so uh, in, in this case, uh, Tony Robbins was one of the guys that, that, uh, was supportive. One of your, call him a mentor coach, whatever that might be a philosophy mm-hmm. that he pointed mm-hmm. out things and he does a great job of that. I know that in other conversations, when you joined Rain and became a Rain member, you started to look at the world a little bit differently around real estate investing as well. Now, was that from yeah. a, not only a doing point of view, but were you also looking at the involvement, the you know, the human development of yourself? It, was that also part of it back then?
1: Absolutely. Uh, in all, in all honesty, Rain was a turning point for me, and I remember uh, somebody posting on fa- Facebook. He said, if you could go back to a younger version of yourself 20 years ago and give yourself a piece of advice in two words, what would that advice be? And the answer for me is genuinely and truly join Rain. Because when I walked through the doors of Rain, and that was on April 18, 2011, uh, I remember walking in the room and I remember watching uh, awards being handed out. And I remember there's an award, a gold pin for 17 properties or more. And I remember that one of the gentlemen called up to the stage was just wearing jeans and a hat, and he looked very casual. And I thought to myself, what is this guy doing? How did he make that happen? So I remember feeling uh, like I didn't belong when I stepped in that room. I felt like almost a poser. I felt like, you know, all these people here up on stage are talking about how many properties they have and how many things they've achieved and all of that sort of stuff. And I felt, you know, I just, I felt like, I don't really belong. And then I remember kind of over time, I started to realize that not only do I belong in this room, but I also can contribute to this room as well. So it was a huge turning point for me because I was able to develop uh, friendships with yourself, with uh, Russell Westcott, uh, Don Campbell, Richard Dolan, and all guys who have been great mentors in my life. And so, you know, Rain has been the best source for me or being around people who inspire me. And it is through real estate, but it's, it's not just about the conversations related to real estate. Even just you and I have had a lot of conversations around, you know, development, who you want to show up as. And, and I'm kind of, I consider myself a very coachable person and I like to learn. And so that really was the big turning point for me. That's kind of where things were, I would say, launched into the entrepreneurial mind. And, um, you know, I, I credit kind of the decision to going there as as to how I got to where I am today.
0: What I find interesting is that many of the guests that I have on the show, they seem to come to being an entrepreneur because it's either how they were raised or they always had a vision for being their own boss and being entrepreneurial. But that isn't the case for you. So I'm actually quite fascinated by the conversation in terms of your ability or your willingness to kind of take it on the inspiration that you had to do it, you know, around supporting your family in a better way and around having a bigger, better life, if you will. And so I I just find that very fascinating. And so I can't imagine the kind of journey that you've been on to get past all the fears and and once again, you know, overcome the anxiety that you said that you had. So I I don't know where I'm going with that other than to me, it's an, it's an interesting phenomena that you don't often meet. I haven't often met individuals who just woke up one day and said, you know something, I'm going to do this full time. So I don't know if there's something you can add to that or not, Rich.
1: No, you know what? Thank you for saying that, by the way. I I think really in my heart from the time I was a child, uh, I felt like I was meant to do something important and bigger and better. And I felt like I had it in me, but I just didn't know how. And I think when I walked through the doors at rain, I finally figured out, you know, I think I know how I can at least get this started. And so since that time, you no, know, I think at the beginning it was about how can I create wealth and make money and support my family. And, and now my thoughts are different. It's about how can I inspire and change the world and make it a better place. And I think in the beginning I was really thinking of, you know, this being about me. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was running on the treadmill in my basement. This is the middle of winter, and I'm on the treadmill and I become overwhelmed with emotion. I just started crying. And I feel, and not to sound religious, but I felt like God was giving me a message. And that message was all of this training is not for you. It's for other people. And I'm giving you this gift to be able to speak and inspire others. But I want you to know that it's not about you and making money. You have to get out there and share it. And so that's something I've been leaning into a little bit more and trying to figure out, okay, well, what is it specifically that I'm supposed to be doing? I feel like I've been in training and all of the speaking I thought was training for me creating more wealth but it's actually about something much bigger. And that's kind of where I'm leaning into now, figuring out what is my life purpose.
0: You know, it's interesting that in some other conversations I've had with some individuals and and, and certainly over the years have really evolved and changed the concept and the idea that as leaders and as, you know, kind of the head of your household, uh, certainly in partnership with Christina, but it is really our responsibility as leaders that we look after ourselves and that we look after ourselves in a way that we can be healthy, you know, in, in all aspects of our life, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, that we can be the support we are for our teams, but also for the people that we want to influence the contribution we want to be to others. But I've noticed in some of your languaging and, 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 and also, as I've gotten to know you, you're pretty committed to all aspects of your health. Do you have a, a, a specific regime that you follow? I know that you like to train, you like to work out, you do the mutter and all those things, but is there is there actually a routine that you have that you do to look after yourself? You're talking about running on the treadmill. What else have you got going on mm-hmm. in that regard, Rich?
1: Yeah, well, you know, in all honesty, you're, that is exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to have a regime and stay focused on being healthy. And if, if I was being honest with you, the number one struggle I have in my life is staying on track with that. I feel like sugar is almost like a drug and it's been pulling me since I was a kid towards it. And I've been trying to get rid of it and struggling to stay disciplined and stay on the wagon, so to speak. What I'm doing essentially is trying to eliminate sugar, trying not to drink too much alcohol, trying to not have too much coffee. And I think the the main way to keep all of those things going is through the gym. If you don't go to the gym, then all the motivation to eat healthy kind of goes out the window. So I still am struggling with it, to be honest with you. And the summertime is quite difficult because, you know, as you're socializing, it's very cold here in Ottawa in the wintertime. So when summer rolls out and the sun is shining and you're in shorts and T-shirt weather, you feel inspired to get to the patio and have a nice cold beer and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, the routines of going to cottages and visiting friends can throw you off track a little bit. So actually this time of year is the time where I'm trying to get back into the discipline um, but really, I think it's about having accountability partners and just reminders, like going on YouTube and listening to videos and reading books and talking to guys like you who are healthy and fit, as uh, just a, a reminder to keep going. And I think also um, because I'm trying to inspire others with action, I feel you know I, I have to kind of put my money where my mouth is, sort of sort of thing, and stay healthy because you know when I was working for TV. At Rogers TV, we were sponsored by a pizzeria, and they would bring us pizza twice a week for the hockey games. And so, when you have free food versus bringing a salad to work, you can imagine how difficult it is to eat that homemade salad when you have pizza when you have pizza coming to you, right?
0: Well, hey, but I got to say that now that you own a, or a partner in a pizza joint, which we'll talk about in, in a little in a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was in saying that what was hilarious about it was that. The pizzeria that sponsored us for 13 years is the same pizzeria I ended up buying.
0: No, you're kidding me right now.
1: I'm not kidding. Of all of Ottawa, million wow. people live here. And ironically, though the very first restaurant I own, which has which by the way, I know nothing about the restaurant industry. That's a whole story in itself. But yeah, it's just hilarious because I knew the previous owner, he was a super nice guy, and then here I am all these years later. I'm first saying I'm very happy to finally be away from the pizza because I realized I lost weight right away. And um, you know, when you're eating pizza and eating a lot of gluten and uh, bread, you you kind of become used to being a little bit lethargic. It's kind of just part of your daily routine. So it wasn't until I got rid of that completely where I started to realize how much more energy I have. So if there was a piece of advice to give people, it's like try it out, test drive it. So my nutritionist, he says to me, you know, if if you're driving in a, a Honda Civic and I give you the keys to a Porsche and you get to drive in that Porsche for a couple of weeks, when you go back to the Honda Civic, you know, you're going to notice a difference. And the longer you stay in the Porsche, the harder it's going to be to go back to that Honda Civic and eventually to a point where you'll never want to drive it. Not that there's anything wrong with a Honda Civic, mind <laughs> you. But that's his analogy, not mine, right? But he's right. And so for me, you know, as far as staying healthy... Before, you know, I would get to a, a, a bottom part where I would just not allow myself to go any further because I would just feel terrible. And that still applies today, but my rock bottom is a lot lower than it used to be because I've increased the thermostat of my expectations around my health and I won't allow myself to drop that deep
0: anymore. You know, that's a, a great phraseology, you know, the thermostat, We it's such an important concept or it's a it's a great concept to embrace which is you know where do you want to set the bar but in this case where do you want to set the thermostat so that if you hit a certain low it kicks back into gear going whoop hold on put in a correction we got to just clean this up a little bit Exactly. you know you and i've talked it's funny that you talk about health because uh you and i of course have talked lots about staying healthy and fitness and all the things that we've talked about If you can, maybe you can hear it in my voice. I'm I'm probably still sounding a little nasally, but I actually just recovered from a cold, and it's interesting because it's the first cold I've literally had in five years. And I mean, I've always just considered myself bulletproof. Like you know, the office I work with twenty people. I'm shaking hands with you know people across the country. It's like every reason in the world to get a cold. You know, in terms of what I expose myself to, and I and I haven't got a cold. Well, so I'm human. I, 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 I get a call. Well, you know, do, you know what's funny about yes, I'm human. Yes, what's funny about this is of course I got you know my my team back at the office you know you know poking me a little bit. Oh, so Patrick does get sick because I just don't, and that's that's the benchmark I hold. Now, having said all of that, is you realize that number one, one of the buttons for me is darn it, I got to reset. You know, like I was like it was like a countdown. And now I'm back to day one. Now I have to go, gosh, I can't say I haven't had a cold for five years anymore. I have to actually say I haven't had a cold for two days. So anyways, that's just joking. That's kind of a mental game that I play with myself. But I also know that, you know, you talked about, you know, gluten and sugar and wheat and all the things that will actually make you a little bit lethargic. And that becomes the normal. And I'm often, I see people often that are you know, they've got flus, they've got colds, there's always something going on. And I don't want to judge it, but I can't imagine what it is to be sick like that all the time. And, and I think huh. you've, you and I have both learned that diet is such an important part of being healthy and having energy and, and working out actually gives you energy, doesn't take away from that. Exactly. Now, let's go back to, you know, I want to talk about pizza in a, in just a minute, because I think that's hilarious that you bought the pizza joint that used to, <laughs> used to sponsor, uh, our shows. sponsor your shows. I think that's great. When you look at the development that you've had, you know, your own kind of human development, that personal development aspect of it, uh, you you know, physically you've got yourself handled, you pay attention to the diet. I think sugar is just, you know, we could get into a whole discussion about sugar and the impact on society and, and what that drives. Right. And it's sad to even think about, but having said all that, when you talk about books that you're reading, is there, is there a favorite book for you, for example? Do you have one that you went, wow, this was really impactful and that you might even go back and open it up every so often again?
1: Yeah. I think like many entrepreneurs, that book would be Think and Grow Rich. Mm. Uh, that, that book has had a huge impact. But secondary to that is a book called Outwitting the Devil, also by Napoleon Hill. And that book actually talks about sugar being a drug and uh, how it basically keeps control over you. And I think That was the first time I had really heard it explained in a way that made a lot of sense to me, and created the big shift. So, uh, yeah, outwitting the devil—that's the name of the book. I highly recommend uh, people pick it up if they haven't already.
0: Awesome. Now, have you? I know you know Tim Ferriss is big on, and and I've always been a a a guy who journals and writes and does all sorts sorts of things to Mm -hmm. kind of get things off my mind. Uh, I also meditate. Have you have you taken those things on? Have you are you that individual that writes pages or meditates? What? Where are you at in that kind of development of your life?
1: Yeah, what's interesting about that is I've tried all those different things and I think meditation is actually the thing I struggle with the most. Calming the mind and stopping the thoughts. Um, I did download a, an app called Headspace, which a lot of people use for meditation. Uh, I find it helpful, but you know, turning the thoughts off is just something I've given up on a little bit. Uh, it just this doesn't happen so trying to quiet down the mind i think the the most uh you know the thing that works best for me is um writing out my thoughts like putting it down doing a brain dump and then the other thing is the exercising part so if i'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed even just going around the block for a run just periodically throughout the day 5 minute breaks just where you're exercising or or playing a song and jumping up and down or dancing shaking your butt whatever it is you can do To just kind of get yourself reset those are kind of tactics that I use but uh, as far as meditating as uh, an everyday thing I haven't I've created some you know daily morning rituals but in all honesty it's sticking to the rituals consistently I still struggle with that because my schedule it, it gets thrown off a little bit and you know also with having young children and my wife and I kind of have an agreement as to who wakes up on what days but the main routines I try to keep up in the morning is drinking water first and foremost. I drink that drink water, eat a decent breakfast, have a coffee, get to the gym at least a few times a week and uh, read, you know, finding the time to read. And uh, I think that's been really helpful, too. So, you know, a lot of, we have a dog. So when we take the dog for a walk, a lot of times I'll play, you know, I'll play um, YouTube videos and, and things like that where I can just learn and sometimes, you know, downloading audiobooks. I'll listen to those while I'm walking and, and the big thing that I do the most, uh, which I think helps me exercise the most without trying is talking on because I have a home office. So a lot of times I I work from home and when people call me, I I just walk. And so I'll be walking and you know, if it's a 45 minute call and I have two or three calls a day like that, you know, I could be walking for (laughs) for three hours and not even notice.
0: Right. Yeah. Awesome. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm built like that too. Tell me something now, your entrepreneur, your real estate investor, your kids, your life, your wife, I mean, all very important to you. How are you doing and how do you find the time to spend with the kids? And, you know, and I know you're a big football fan with your son and, Mm. and, and how is it giving you, is it starting to give you the time that you wanted with your children and your wife, your family?
1: Yes. What I did was I remodeled my life. I used to run a life around, you know, working and making money and always trying to be ahead and my relationships would suffer as a result. And so, you know, when I had a job, I would be offered overtime or freelance gigs and I would take those gigs and, you know, of course I was trading time for money back then and the people who were suffering were my, you know, my kids and my wife. And now that I work for myself, I now flipped it completely. So, my son plays football, I'm one of the coaches on the team. My son plays hockey. Uh, and what we really do is weekends are for family. And then because family is the number one priority, it kind of forces me to speed up what I'm doing when I'm not with family. So, you know, I have a little less time to get work done without compromising family time. And that just helps me be more creative around uh, what I'm going to spend my time working on. So that, you know, if you, let's say, for example, you work a regular eight-hour job. You can make eight hours last every day and, you know, start at nine and leave at five. But a lot of times you could get that job done in half the time. So in my case, I've engineered my life so that I don't compromise my family. I don't compromise my relationship with my wife. And we actually schedule things in our calendar. So I have color codes in my calendar around time with my wife, around time with my kids and around business so that I can see visually in my calendar that I'm creating the balance that I need.
0: Now, you used the phrase back in a time when you were trading time for money. And mm-hmm. what's, how, how do you define the difference between what you were doing then and what you're doing now?
1: Sure. So, you know, trading time for money before was about, you know, earning a specific dollar, working overtime. And, you know, now I'm, I'm still doing that now, but with less time traded. So I strategically now think about how can I make more money with less time? And so, you know, at first it started out with just being around real estate and flipping properties. Then, as I started to read, you know, different books, the E Myth being one of them, and having friendships with guys like you, I started realizing that, you know, there's a much much better way to do that, where I'm not specifically trading time for money, and I'm actually creating uh, plans around. Creating a business and learning to create systems and delegating, so that I can have more free time for myself to be able to do the things I want to do. And it's so it just started with a shift in thinking, and then it came into creating those systems and uh, ways of making the space I needed and wanted.
0: And it's an evolution, you know. It's it's you know we 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 say it's uh, evolutionary, not revolutionary, and it's always a work in progress. Exactly. Tell me, uh, okay, so I want to go back to you now are a partner in a pizza Mm -hmm. joint. And last time I was in Ottawa... Okay, talk about, okay, good old healthy eating. 11.30 at night, we're eating pizza, eating wings, and uh, sharing a beer. Okay. That's right. You know, I I had a food hangover for two days after that. It it was probably the first uh, pizza I had had in months, literally. You're welcome. And, and, yeah, thank you for that. And uh, let alone that it was at 11.30 or 12 o'clock at night after a rain meeting. So, fun night. It was great to see, uh, you know, the establishment. And, uh, your partner takes an incredible amount of pride in what he served to us that night. And so that was kind of cool. So just tell me, how did that all unfold for you? Because was it an opportunity that you created or was it an opportunity that showed up? Give me a little bit of background on, on how you uh, took that one on.
1: Sure. So what happened was, uh, there was, so I'm in the business of trying to find deals. And so I source out a lot of private deals. And I found this house to buy and I called the owner and I said, you know, you know, tell me about your situation. Why are you selling? And he said, you know, I'm selling my house because I want to move to Vancouver. And um, I also have a business and I want to sell that. And I said, well, what's the name of your business? So he told me the name of the business. And I, and I recognized that having known the previous owner and knowing it was the sponsor for, uh, for uh, Rogers TV for many years. And so he said, are you interested in buying the business? And of course, my answer was no. Because what do I know about the pizza business? What do I know about any restaurant business? I know nothing. But I had just literally finished reading the book, The E-Myth, by uh, Martin Gerber. And in the book, he talks about the entrepreneur, the manager, and the technician, or as some people call it, the finder, minder, grinder. And I recognized that this guy was a technician and that he was really, really good at making the pizza because as I asked him to explain the scenario of what was going on with the restaurant... He told me he had a partner in the restaurant who was the business guy and that he was the guy who made the pizza. So when his partnership didn't work out with the the guy who was supposed to be running the business, Mm -hmm. uh, he ended up defaulting to the kitchen because he in his mind believed as an artist that nobody could make pizza as good as he could. So I recognize that, you know, in every great business, you have the finder, minder, grinder, And, um, this guy was definitely more of a grinder. He wasn't an entrepreneur and he certainly didn't know how to manage his own restaurant because he was delegating that to another employee. And so I thought, okay, well, this is interesting opportunity. So I called a friend of mine who owns many restaurants in Ottawa. And I said to him, you know, I met with this guy, I've gone to his restaurant. I feel like there's an opportunity here, but I need you to help me analyze it and let me know what you think. So he came to the restaurant and he started playing around with their computer system. And figuring out, you know, how much money this was making and asking all sorts of questions that I would not have thought to ask. And, um, and then after we left the restaurant about an hour later, we went for a walk around the block and he said to me, can I be your business partner? <laughs> and I said, well, actually I was thinking the exact same thing. So, um, we decided to move forward with it. We split the money. And uh, in this scenario, because of the real estate background, you know, also understanding, uh, vendor take backs now and, and seller financing. We were able to buy the restaurant with very little money in, and we're we're now paying the owner the balance with profits coming through the restaurant itself. So in another four years, the restaurant will be completely paid for. We put very little money into it, and we've also – the owner of the restaurant is still working for us. He's in the kitchen making pizzas. He's a very nice guy. He's happy. He doesn't have the responsibility of the restaurant on his shoulders anymore, but he still gets to do what he loves, which is making pizza. So it's a win-win for everybody.
0: That's cool. You know, you mentioned the book, E-Myth, uh, Michael Gruber, mm. and yeah. that book I read, I want to say I would have been 30 when I read that book. And right. it literally changed my life in how I right. looked at, at, at business. I've gifted that book. I have recommended that book it is really foundational. And it sounds like it had a similar impact on you. So it was kind of cool. Did I, re-
1: did I recommend that book to you, by the way? It's very possible. I'm <laughs> going to say yes, just so you sound great on yeah, your own podcast. Yeah, well,
0: that's great. Thanks, pal. Anyway, so that's cool. So now you own a pizzeria and, and uh, building some equity in a business. And, and that's kind of cool. So how do you define success, Rich? As you sit here today, how do you define success?
1: I think success is really about how you feel about yourself and how you impact the world and those around you. So for me, success is knowing that my wife is happy, that she's in love, that she feels uh, taken care of, that uh, my children are happy, that I'm a great father, um, that I'm making an impact on the world that's positive. And, and then as far as financial success, you know, it's, it really comes down to getting to the point where you don't have to think anymore about your future and have fear around how you're going to be able to get through this life. And, and that's still a work in progress. You, know, you, you, you got to get to the point where you, know, you have so much monthly income that working just becomes an option to have the lifestyle that you want. And so you know, financially, that's kind of how I would define success. But really, my priority is around how I feel about myself. Every day when I wake up in the morning and looking in the mirror and knowing that who I am is is authentic, honest, and real.
0: If you're giving, you know, I guess, suggestions, advice, guidance to listeners that are entering the world of real estate investing or entering the world of being an entrepreneur and they have families and they have kids and and a wife Mm -hmm. and all of those things... Is there is there some takeaways or there's some things that you would shine a light on and say hey listen here's yeah. some things I've learned along the way that I would suggest you pay attention to?
1: Yeah, I think the number one thing is making sure that the people in your life understand what you're trying to accomplish and why. And I think if the why is all about you that it's probably not going to work out so well, but uh if you include your your significant other in the journey and really for me, you know when it was about like what do you want? What's your why? I yeah in all honesty, I don't I didn't really want a lot. like for me, you know having a car, I'm just happy with a car that gets me to where I want to be without you know failing and being on the side of the highway. So you know, I had to tap into what my wife's wants were and find out, you know like what do you want in life? and you know, if you were to see where do you want to be in five years and vacation wise and you know what would your what would your goals be, I felt like that was actually more motivating than my own goals. so, by including your significant other in the journey, I think it really helps because then if they're not on board with you, it's gonna be an uphill battle. But if they share the vision with you, it can be a lot easier. And then again, don't go at it alone. There's so many people out there who are willing to help. They're willing to offer advice, they're willing to share. And you know, with the with the thing with books and the internet that's amazing is that it's literally there for everybody. You can just Google whatever your question is and there's an answer for you. And I find that, I find it fascinating. But, you know, as far as preparing yourself for life as a full-time real estate investor or an entrepreneur, you're not alone and uh, help is readily available. And again, you know, the first thought that I would have back early, early on is that, you know, I can learn all this stuff on the internet or I can Google it, or this guy's just trying to take my money. I never really saw it as an investment in myself. I always saw it as an expense. And so once you overcome that obstacle of realizing that it is an investment in you and, you know, if you can find the right coach and the right mentor, then you can really fast forward your success huge. And I think for me, that's really, that's really been the case.
0: Now, I think we've both seen with real estate investors, because, you know, that's or entrepreneurs. I mean, that's kind of the world that we live in. That often we find couples that aren't on the same page. I mean, we literally have, and I've met many people far too many over the years that, you know, one of them is a real estate investor and the other is absolutely a polar opposite going, I don't right. want anything to do with this. Exactly. And, and so as you've kind of gone on your own journey and, and a couple of things I'd like you to share. Number one, how's communication and how have things changed for you and Christina in terms of your own evolution as a couple? and how you communicate mm-hmm. and how you see the world. And mm-hmm. and what guidance do you give to somebody who, you know, is not on the same path as their significant other or struggling to get on the same path? Is, is there anything that you've learned along the way that you would share with somebody that is in that situation? So there's kind of two questions there.
1: Hey, I think you should just break up with them and start over again.
0: <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> okay, we got that one handled. Now, back I to just... you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I don't really know how you would overcome that other than to just try to share. And I think be the example. So, you know, a lot of times when you go to work on yourself and personal development, you can't go home and try to change the person you're with and say, Hey, I learned this about me and now you have to do this. I realized all your problems, right? right? If you just do this, this, that, they'll all be fixed. Trust me. That doesn't work. Right. So the only thing you can really do in that case is just lead by example. And, you know, for me, when I was off doing all of these different things, I would come home feeling genuinely inspired by the things that I learned. And I wanted to share those things with Christina. And she really wanted to hear them as well, because as a couple, we want, we want to grow. We want to grow as individuals as well. And so, you know, just this year, we sold off a few of the properties. And one of the deals that we made with each other was that anything over asking would be invested into ourselves as individuals for personal development or together as a couple. And so one of the decisions we made was to go to a couples retreat and you know it's just a, it's like anything else it's a journey relationships are complicated and people are different and a lot of times you know it's so much easier to focus on the other person's problems and focus on relationships more on what you're not getting rather than what you're not giving and I think you know for us it's it like we're not perfect by all means we still argue just like every other couple but we it's just improving and just like personal development it's a journey and you get a little better every year and i think for us you know it's just the awareness around it and having you know the resources and having other powerful couples to talk to and friendships with individuals that just inspire us to keep improving
0: do you think that as you've grown you know personally professionally and all the things that you do have you have you actually seen a change in who you hang out with who your friends are who your associations are with 100%
1: you know being around people that can teach you things and you know become the average i've had to change kind of some relationships around obligation and um you know the earliest one was my relationship with my parents i felt this obligation to maintain that relationship um because they were my parents and you know it just wasn't working for me and i finally at 16 made the decision that i had to do what was right for for me and that was the biggest turning point in my life to overcome that obligation and Uh, it's just been huge for me since that time. But like, as far as friendships are concerned, I don't hang around negative people. If people are whining and they, you know, using Facebook as a soapbox for complaining, I just stop following them. I, I don't want that in my life. And because of my children, we spend so much time in their activities and doing what they want to do that we really have limited time to choose who we want to spend time with. So having time being that limited. We are very selectful about who we spend time with, and we actually strategize together about you know, who are we going to invite for dinner or who are we going to spend time with, not necessarily because they're in real estate. That has nothing to do with it. And even about how they are in business has nothing to do with it. It could be just how they show up as people. How are they contributing to the world? Are they people who are making us better people as individuals and as a couple? If so, then we want to spend more time with them. If not, then we'll spend less time with them.
0: What's your relationship like with your parents now? Do you do you have contact with them? Do you hang out with them? No. Or you've just moved totally on?
1: Non-existent. Wow. It doesn't exist. And, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a sad story, I guess, as to, you know, where things started. You know, I wish things could be different for sure. You know, a good thing that really did come out of that is the relationships I have with my brothers. We kind of went through that together. And so, you know, as we were in high school, people would always say, why do you guys have lunch together? Why do you hang around? Like we literally were best friends hanging around each other all the time. My brother, Brad, my old, my old, he's two years older than me. He was my hero growing up. And uh, he would comb his hair down the middle. I would comb my hair down the middle. He would part his hair to the side. I would part my hair to the side. I would wear his clothes because it made me feel closer to him. We would trade clothes that way. So he really was the first person in my life who who showed me that, you know, things were possible. He would say things to me quite commonly like it's, you know, re- related to my parents, it's not you, it's them. And so, having him continually be a support to me as a child, he was a child looking out for me, but he was kind of the parent that kept me on the right track even though he wasn't my parent and uh he he says that his influence came from the church. Our parents sent us to church as kids on the weekend. They didn't come with us, but they sent us there and um you know the the church was a big support to us growing up, and um you know through life my my brothers are, were there, and I don't feel like I really lost anything. I feel like I gained things because you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends, you can choose the people who you know who you want to have in your life and so you know, through Brad taking me in when I was a kid at sixteen, you know i, I have I still have that relationship today with him when I go to Hamilton, we go visit um he, you know, he offered to adopt me when I was 17 years old. And um, he's been nothing but a loving example. And he's been the father figure in my life. I, I, I feel absolutely blessed. I feel honestly, the truth is, is that when I was a child, I would see some of my other friends with their dads, and I would feel a little bit, not jealous, but envious of them. And I would say, gee, I wish I could have that kind of relationship with my dad. And the reality is now that I actually do have that relationship, except I'm the dad. And so for me, going through all of that stuff, I actually feel like it was dues that I paid so that my children don't have to. And, um, you know, they don't realize how lucky they are to be so loved and and thought of on a, on a you know, a moment to moment basis. And I feel really privileged and blessed that that's the case for me. You
0: know, it's so interesting, Rich, that you know, when I hear stories like yours and certainly your story, this is the first time I've heard story, the, your background, your backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, such an, it is such a lesson for anybody listening that our stories, you know, they don't define only the, the downside of our life. You know, we're not our story. We get to use that right. story to define who we're going to become. It doesn't have to define who we are. And, exactly, and, and I mean that's just such an example. I'm always when I've heard these stories in the past from you know, you know different versions of different stories, of course. But I'm just really, really amazed that at 16 years old that you were, you you made that choice and made that decision, and and here you sit today, and uh, you know just turned out really well, Rich. <laughs> you have turned out to be a good guy. Good work, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. buddy. You know, as we you know as we go forward, I want to hear a little bit more about you know your real estate investing. So. Tell me a little bit about the model. I know that originally you were doing buy and hold stuff, and then you were doing a little bit of renovate and flip, but I don't want to, why don't you share with me what your strategy has been over the years that you've been investing and where you kind of land today?
1: Sure. It's two primary strategies. One is the straight flip, buy, renovate, sell, and the other one is buy, renovate, and refinance. So we're not buying anything that's turnkey because there's no way for us to force the value and pull money out. Uh, so we we either just straight flip it or what, what we'll do is we'll raise cash in the beginning to fund the property for the renovations. And then after it's done and it's renovated, we'll offer it to our uh, partners who can come in as equity shareholders.
0: Okay. You sound, you make that sound so easy, by the way. Now, <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about the renovate and flip. So you on weekends are, you know, putting on your jeans and your tool belt and you're going in and, you know to no. drywall or tell me a little bit more about the renovate and flip strategy.
1: Yeah, well, i uh, fortunately I am no longer doing that. I actually have a property that I bought about, uh, I'd say maybe 15 years ago that I still own. And at that time I thought I could figure this renovation thing out. That's before all the YouTube videos were available to teach you how to do it. And so I remember going into this property and I put in my own baseboard and I tiled the floor and And I have that still in my portfolio as a reminder of what not to do because, <laughs> well,
0: uh, well played
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so the floor is not straight. I didn't know how to level it properly, and i you know I made the best effort I could. So you know over the years, I realized that you know it's much it's a better use of your time to focus on raising cash and operating the business than to work in the business. So if I was renovating, I'd certainly be. Working in the business, and you know, other than demolition, I really have nothing to contribute. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm not involved in that anymore. I just spend the time, you know, growing the business and working with investors. And you know, as you know, there's a lot of people who understand the value of owning real estate, uh, but they just they don't have the time, the team, or the expertise. They don't want to be in a, a property trying to renovate it. But you know, they understand that you know, holding a property and owning real estate can certainly benefit their future. It's, it's a a more safe investment for um, having your capital because you have bricks and mortar. And if for whatever reason, the building blows up, you still have, you know, you have insurance that can replace that. Whereas if you're investing in stocks and your, you know, your portfolio blows up, you, you have nothing left at the end of the day. So we do provide that as an option for people, whether they want to just invest cash as a loan for while we're, while we're flipping properties, we just pay them a, a, you know, a straight interest rate on that. Or if they want to come in as equity shareholders, where we essentially do all of the work for them, uh, we take care of renovations, we take care of property management, we take care of the books, and they just write the check, and, and that's uh, that's all they do.
0: So if I'm hearing you now, so you're hiring. You've got have you got a crew? or Have you got a couple of crews that you work with on that with a contractor, yeah. or how does that actually work for you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So we have five projects on the go right now that we're renovating. Uh, we do have crews that we work with. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty much it. So it's hiring the right people. I think the big lesson is in, in making sure that you're getting the right people. Like I still, you know, we've been burned many times over the years and hiring the right guys. I think probably the biggest mistake I've made is that uh, trustworthy people tend to trust too much. And so you, you just assume that everybody's honest. And I've been burned on that, you know, quite a bit, especially in the beginning. You know, even today, we really have to be diligent about making sure that we're interviewing people properly. And, you know, there's still many processes and things you can learn. And as you just grow, it just evolves to a new level. So we don't stop learning and we're just trying to mitigate mistakes uh, over time and, you know, build crews to make things more efficient so that we don't have to be involved day to day in the operations of the renovations.
0: Yeah. So are you being the general? So in other words, are you the guy that's hiring the drywallers, the painters, or are you, have you got a contractor in between you and the crews, or are you actually being the guy?
1: Both. Right now we're kind of in transition. We've had employees that have worked for us. You know, we've been paying them by the hour. And, um, You know, people move on. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, So we're kind of at the point now where it's getting to be too big. And we're actually looking for a project manager now to kind of over, you know, to take over all that. We've had some people we brought in as project managers. And the struggle with renovations is, you know, finding a project manager who's super organized, has some skills to bring to the table and is, you know, is ready to do that. I find like a lot of the contractors who would be best qualified to do that sort of job, they have the skills, but they don't really want to be the person organizing and coordinating all of that. So finding the right person to uh, project manage is definitely a bit of a challenge. um, But that's kind of what we're working on right now. So we kind of share the responsibilities a little bit between us, Christine and I, as to, you know, managing the people. It's, you know, we have a lot of success in that. But as we grow, just we're, we're just working on how do we expand that now?
0: Then on the other side of it, the other part that you've got going on, so you're you're doing that renovate and flip, and that's generating mm-hmm. income for you.
1: Right.
0: Um, now you also let me go back to this because you're also attracting capital. So is right now once again you seem to make that okay. That's just the, as an aside. Oh yeah, and we just you know attract capital and get joint venture partners, and so you're finding that attracting capital because that's often one of the biggest questions that real estate investors have to. Answer and they can't seem to overcome is how do I raise capital? Is there do you struggle with raising capital, or you seem to be in the world where it just shows up for you?
1: No, I I don't struggle with it. In all honesty, uh, I remember hearing Don Campbell say on that first weekend that I joined Rain said, "Become the person who you would write the check to." And you know when I first heard that, I didn't really quite understand what it meant. But I think as you move forward in your journey, and you know you realize that raising capital is about you, then it's going to be very difficult to raise capital. If raising capital is about helping other people and recognizing that there are tons of Canadians out there who are really struggling to find a safe investment and that you can really help them, when you realize that, come to that moment, it changes everything. So I know that what I'm doing is actually helping people. And majority of people don't even know that this is available or an option to them. You even take a look at RSPs, for example, People are going to the bank and they're asking somebody at the bank who's really barely qualified to give them advice what they should be doing with their money. So Canadians are really just picking a binder. You know, this is okay, I'm low risk. Okay, here's your binder. You're gonna pick these stocks. This will be your portfolio that you invest in. And then, you know, as things are not quite working out for them 10 years later, they're saying, okay, well, what can I do now? So, you know, being able to provide people an opportunity to make better returns than what they're currently making. And it's not that we're promising the world. Them or anything like that, but it's just having something safe that they can, that they can count on that's secured against real estate is is something that's quite attractive to people. So I feel like a lot of raising capital is about educating people as to what's available to them.
0: Have you found a you know with your with the changes in the mortgage rules? Are you bumping up against any of the challenges with that, or how are you finding that you're dealing with that, or are you or are you having to deal with it because of the model that you've got? Are you working around the new mortgage rules changes?
1: I mean, there's always changes coming all the time. I think for us, the, the, the part that's challenging is always the refinancing side of things because of uh, the size of our portfolio. You know, as the mortgage rules come in, I kind of just expect that there's going to be more challenges along the way. And we just get creative and trying to figure out what do we need to do? How can we get around it? But at the end of the day, it comes down to, is this property going to make us money over the long term? Will it cover itself? And, and if so, then it's still worth
0: pursuing. When you look at the portfolio that you're building on your buy and hold side, is there a limit? What, what's your own goals around real estate? When is enough enough for you?
1: I should have a good answer to that. But the truth is I don't. And the, Enough is enough. I think is, it just gets to a point where everything becomes optional. I, I think that's, that's what it is. What, we're, what we do now, we, we like what we do. There's no real reason to stop. We're young. We're capable. Um, so it's not really about a number of properties.
0: Okay. So as we kind of I don't want to say well we we should start winding down a little bit. This has been a really fascinating conversation, Rich. I've enjoyed it very much and I hope you have as well. Lots Absolutely. of real awesome, awesome takeaways here, by the way. When you look at, you know, all of the things that you've achieved and you've had lots of successes, is there a failure that you hit that was a big one or what was your you know, what was I guess the question would be what's your biggest failure? that you've had that turned out to be maybe a blessing in disguise?
1: Oh, I've had so many failures <laughs> <laughs> along the way. It's been a blessing in disguise. I, you know, I, I think it comes down to this as recognizing that a failure is actually designed to teach you something. And before when bad things would happen, I would I would be you know, questioning, why me? What did I do, God? I'm trying to be an honest and ethical person, and yet this didn't work out. I don't understand why it would confuse me. And now I, when things don't go right, I actually get a little bit excited about it as ironic and bizarre as that, that sounds. I feel like, oh, there's a lesson in there that I'm supposed to learn. So even just recently, um, there was a story about, uh, you know, saying kind of an affirmation every day. And so I started this new affirmation, uh, a couple of months ago that is money flows to me easily, frequently, and abundantly. And so I started saying that and then. One night, I'm standing in front of the mirror for the very first time, and I decide I'm just going to say that. And then whatever comes after comes after. A lot of thoughts you know, will come in my mind, and, but that's where it starts. And so I say this, and I feel like, wow, that was powerful. And then I get into bed, and I look at my phone before I go to sleep, and I check my email, and I received a budget report on my most recent renovation. And it went way over budget as to what, it was, supposed to, what was supposed to happen. And I'm like, what the hell? I thought money was supposed to flow to me easily, frequently, and abundantly. And so I was like, this this isn't working. And then I realized exactly in that moment that in order for money to flow to me easily, frequently, abundantly, if that's what I want, then obviously something has to change. And in order for something to change, you have to address what you're not doing right. And so you know, we made some shifts around that particular failure. And that's led to more successes of, you know, things that weren't even part of the plan. So, so now when I look at failure, I'm not scared of it anymore. It's just, it's a lesson. And I try to figure out what is it that I'm supposed to be learning and how can I apply that? And then the thing that I try to do with that is I try to take an action immediately that will lead to whatever that's supposed to be. Because I find like, you know, I'm a creative guy. I have a lot of ideas that flow through my head. But if I don't do something to act on that, as soon as it comes to me with at least an email or something, then often the thought will either be forgotten or it just won't happen.
0: You know, years ago, a friend of mine, a very wealthy friend of mine said to me, because I I was with him and I just wanted to take advantage of an opportunity. And I said, his name was Brian. And I said, Brian, like you've achieved so much. and And this is a guy who had a business that generated about a million dollars a day in revenue. And this was many years ago. And I mean, that's a lot of money at, at any day of the week. And I I wanted to take advantage of him. So I said, Brian, I go, share with me, like, how is it that you've had this much success that you generate this kind of money when other people don't? And what is it for you? And he goes, I don't make mistakes. And in my in a nanosecond, my brain like misfires all over the place. It's going, what, what the hell are you talking about? And, yeah. you know, that's so arrogant. And so as like, I'm speechless with that statement and I'm going, How, you know, you, you don't make mistakes. Like in my mind, I didn't say that out loud yeah. because I'm trying to be too cool. And Brian just looks at me, he goes, and, and it was like a, a pause and a, a moment went by and I'm wondering what the hell I'm even supposed to say to that. And he says, I just get a result and it's either the result I want or it's the result I didn't want. And then I make right. a decision. Am I going to put in the correction and maybe put more money into it? Or am I going to take it off the table? He said, People get all hung up on mistakes. Said, it's not a, a mistake. You just got a result. And I went, right. So I sometimes link back to that. And I don't think I still to this day get it at the level that he gets it. But really, right. what you're also looking at it that way, you know, we use the term failure or mistake. You're looking at it as just, hey, listen, I learned a bunch of stuff from it. It causes me to innovate and be better the next time. So but it really is exactly. about a mind shift, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, as we kind of wind down the show, I like to get into some rapid fire questions with my guests, Rich.
1: All right, here we go.
0: <laughs> and I and I know that you're so on the bit because you're you're a smart guy. Okay, so I'm not gonna go to rapid fire. I wanna I want to ask you something else first. Okay. Now when you look back at your forty some years old, if you were to give a message to your twenty year old self, what would it be?
1: Well, those words were definitely join rain, as I mentioned earlier, but I think it's, you know, work on yourself, like work on your personal development. And um I think most people are just not picking up books because the way they look at life is, you know. My parents' expectation is after high school, I'm supposed to go to university or college and get a degree. Then I'm supposed to get a job. Then I'm supposed to get a wife. And then I'm supposed to have kids. And, And then for a lot of people, it's just check, 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 check. They check the boxes. And then for the next 40 years, they really just stop pushing themselves beyond their limits. So if you can get around people who will inspire you, that's step number one. Do that. And then the books is... You know, the books are there, but you, you don't even have to go far. You don't even have to leave your house. You can just go on YouTube and start searching for things that are of interest to you. And and then that's what I would recommend.
0: I'm going to reverse the question a little bit, go the other direction. What would you tell your 70-year-old self? Hey, man, what a ride that was, eh? <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> what do you want to teach your children about money? Because, you know, you're... You've you've created the wealth that you've created. You'll you know you look into the future about what will likely occur for you on the wealth side of things, given the portfolio and what you're building in business and right. real estate, et etc. What do you want to teach your children about money?
1: Not to rely on other people. That's number one. And my son, my oldest son, is in third year university right now. And I said to him, you know, university is great. You're there. You're getting the experience. But you know, just know that that job that you're aiming for might not be there for you. If you could think about ways that you could be self-sufficient on your own and what you would do if you were really forced to do that, what would that look like for you? So, you know, it's having conversations around being self-sufficient. And even my youngest son, Dylan, he's eight years old right now, but we were in the hot tub yesterday and he said to me, dad, you know, there was recently that hurricane and he said, you know, dad, I was thinking if I'm going to buy some stocks right now, I might want to invest in wood. So what do you mean? (laughs) And he said, well, because, you know, all these houses went down and they have to be rebuilt. So I was thinking like, you know, if you're going to pick a stock right now, that's going to go up in value, probably would be wood. Maybe we should buy wood. That's what he's telling me as an eight year old.
0: Right. And so I
1: thought to myself,
0: well, you've shared stories with me about Dylan before. So he's, he's a whole different breed, of young man. That's for darn sure.
1: Yeah. But yeah, the way his mind thinks already at a very young age is super impressive. But you know, what I said to Dylan was, listen, Dylan, this was his birthday. This was about six months ago. He had his birthday. He received some money. He had $375 and he wanted to go to Toys R Us. And I I said, Dylan, we can take your money and we can go to Toys R Us, or we can take your money and try to make it, make more money out of it. He says, well, what do you mean, dad? I said, well, you know, you can invest it. And he said, well, how do I do that? So we sat down and we, you know, went through some different options for him. And, um, know, one of the things we ended up deciding on was that lithium would be a good stock to invest in. And so I bought a stock for him with him. It was, uh, 74 cents at the time. And that was about six months ago. And, um, I matched what he put in. And then now today that stock is about 110% higher trading around one sixty-four or something like that. And every day he comes home and he says, dad, what did, what's my stock trading at? He keeps asking me. And can I see your phone? Can I see your phone? Can I see your phone? He keeps asking me. Right. So, you know, just teaching them lessons around money and how it works. And, um, you know, one of the things was he was asking for all the stuff from Santa, this, you know, well, here's my Christmas list. He gives me in August, like, well, Christmas list. I said, well, if you want all these things in your Christmas, on your Christmas list, you're going to have to figure out how to get these same things for other people. So I want you to come up with an entrepreneurial idea, how you can raise the money so that not only can you afford that for yourself from Santa, but you can gift it to somebody else. And so, the, you know, just these kind of conversations with my kids, get them thinking about it. And then the other one is my, I asked my kids, uh, my son, Brandon, who's the old one, you know, I don't want a present for Father's Day. I don't want a present for my birthday. What I want to do is give you a book title and you commit to reading that book for my birthday. That's, that's the ultimate gift for me. And they and they're willing to do that. And so to me, it's, it's great. That just makes me super happy as a dad.
0: That's cool. Good job, buddy. Rapid fire. You ready? Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, what's coming. What's your favorite swear word? Shit. Okay. What profession other than what you're doing right now? What would you do if you weren't doing this?
1: If I could be a professional athlete, if I had the talent, that's what I would be doing, playing professional football. Uh, if not doing that, I would probably be a teacher. Is Ed?
0: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear from God when you get to the gates?
1: You did a great job helping the world be a better place. Thank you.
0: On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? Weird? <laughs> I don't know. Five? Yeah, I would, I would concur. You're not all that weird i'll never say that to your face but what are you not very good at not very good at renovations uh that's for sure and
1: um i'm uh, not a great cook uh, not great at cleaning
0: up <laughs> well that leads to the next question that leads to the next question yeah. room desk or your car what do you clean first
1: car for sure
0: oh come on i've been in your car
1: my car is clean.
0: That's the only place <laughs> in kidding. my life
1: where I can control it.
0: <laughs> just kidding. Everything else has kids throwing stuff. Uh, your car is clean. What's your favorite tune? Have you got one? Uh,
1: with or Without You, You too.
0: Favorite movie? Uh, favorite movie. I like
1: The Truman Show. That was a great movie. Like a lot of the movies I like are older movies. Um, the Truman Show was great. Big Tom Hanks. Loved that movie when I was a teenager.
0: Yeah. What are you grateful for?
1: I'm grateful for being given the tools to learn how to be grateful. Mm. Like I put that practice in my life every day. It's, that's a great question, by the way, gratitude. Um, when, when you learn to practice gratitude, it takes away thoughts about what's not going right in your life and you know, fears and judgment and all of those things. So I'm, I'm grateful to have so many wonderful people in my life that are helping me to be the person that I want to be
0: it's Tony that says that when you're thinking of gratitude, things that you're grateful for and having grateful thoughts, you literally can't be unhappy. They don't exist in the same space. They can't exist in the same space. I agree. Yeah. Well, I'm always very grateful to have the guests on the show that I have. I'm grateful for, for your, for your friendship. I'm grateful to uh, be able to uh, call you a pal and, uh, have this kind of conversation with you today rich and uh i've got to be honest with you I'm, I'm grateful for my children and my my daughter and my grandchildren most recently and uh so yeah. i just have lots of gratitude as well so listen pal thanks for joining me today and uh i think we're gonna probably have to do this again sometime hey
1: oh, that'd be wonderful thank you for having me it's been a great pleasure thanks
0: pal ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at r-e-i-n canada dot com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick go